This is episode 143 of the Relate Podcast on making big ideas approachable with Adrian Mack. We are spending more and more time in the online world, looking through our screens and increasingly disconnected with those around us. But studies have proven that it's real-life meaningful relationships that bring us the most joy and happiness. It's all about human connection and conversing with people from a variety of backgrounds. Worlds change when eyes meet. So let's sit down and relate. Hello, everyone. I am your host, Patrick McAndrew. Welcome to yet another episode of the Relate Podcast. Today, we have a great guest who is joining us. His name is Adrian Mack, and Adrian is a business development associate at Long Capture, which is a consulting firm that helps tech companies capture Department of Defense contracts. He also has a PhD in transformative studies and transdisciplinary studies from the California Institute of Integral Studies, as well as various other degrees As you'll see in this episode, his work and research covers a wide variety of different topics, including diversity, pop culture, different perspectives, media, technology, society, diversity, equity, inclusion, just a a wide variety of, of different things. And in this episode, we talk about the social impact in different cultures, thinking beyond our disciplines. A lot of us sometimes tend to have a one-track mind, but it's important to expose ourselves to people of diverse backgrounds and cultures. We talk about the importance of having media literacy, why we must step outside of the worldview that we've been handed in order to ask ourselves why we believe what we believe, and also how to make big ideas and research more approachable. This is a great episode. I have no doubts that you will really enjoy it. If you like this episode, share it with a friend who you think it might really resonate with. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave me a review. I would really appreciate it. So without further ado, let me please introduce today's guest, Adrian Mack. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Relate Podcast. Today, we have a great guest joining us on the show. His name is Adrian Mack. Adrian, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, you and I got connected through the All Tech is Human community, which for those of you listeners out there who do not know about All Tech is Human, I highly recommend checking them out. Uh, Adrian and I had the opportunity to connect on there, uh, found that we had a lot of similar interests in a lot of ways, and a lot of what he's done, both in his work and his research, I think will really resonate with all of you listeners today. So we're very lucky to have you on the show, Adrian. I'm excited. I'm definitely excited. And, and it's been an honor to meet you as well. Your background's fascinating. So excited to talk to you today. I'm wondering if you could just start off by sharing with our listeners just a little bit about yourself. I know that you do a lot of different things, so uh, maybe in a condensed way, you could just share a bit about yourself and what is it that you specifically focus on? Sure. So if you definitely look at you know my LinkedIn or resume, you, you probably are curious about what my interests are um, because I don't I don't think I fit into a 
a box or, a, you know, something like that as easily as, as some people might with their own uh, background or identity. But for me, I think regardless of what I'm doing, I'm very interested in social impact. I'm really interested in learning about different groups and cultures and studying different social issues. And so I try to take whatever skill set, whatever company I'm working for, the mission of that company, whatever it is, I try to focus on how can I better society? How can I um, help those that are marginalized? How can I, you know, translate my own experiences so that I can make organizations or individuals better um, or, or help bring communities together? So I would definitely say that, you know, some of that stems from my um, faith background. I grew up in a Christian home. So I, I really like to make the world a better place for everyone, not just those that look like or think like me. Yeah, I I would absolutely agree with you on a lot of these things. And I think that's why when we first connected, I was really jiving with a lot of the things that you were saying. I, I feel very similar in a lot of ways in that I, I don't feel like I could be put in one specific box. I think society in a lot of ways has a tendency to want to put us in boxes. But I really love how just both in your work and in the research that you've done, you really have this interdisciplinary approach. And I think something like that is very important because it allows us to, as you said, study cultures from a variety of different perspectives and, and really allow us to have a more worldly view when we're studying a wide variety of different topics and then figuring out where those topics intersect as well. Definitely. No, I definitely agree. And I think that, you know, with all tech is human, I know that that human piece is something that individuals often don't always think about when technology is discussed. Of course, we know we can use technology in different ways and to help society and uh, things like that. But I think often we forget that there there is a human or there are humans behind the technology, whether it's the development aspect of that or, or those who are actually users or being benefited or impacted. So uh, I think that also is a reason why I actually was invested in All Tech is Human and some of my own research um, that stems around media technology and society. Yeah. And I'm wondering if we could dive into that research a little bit more. I know, as you just said, you do have done a lot of research in, in media, technology, society, and and this, I feel like, is starting to become a very prevalent topic in our world today, just with regards to what is the impact that technology has on the ways in which we consume media as a society. And I know that you've worked in this very interdisciplinary, transdisciplinary medium. So I'm wondering if you could share with us, just maybe uh, dive into your research a little bit more, share what your research is about specifically. Sure. So for me, I think diversity, equity, and inclusion have always been foundational. You know, that, that's always been foundational to my life and my work. And so when I was first approaching my doctoral program, um, it was a transdisciplinary program looking at interconnected social issues and, and how to think, you know, beyond disciplines and, and really thinking about the epistemology of knowledge and things like that. So complexity is, is very foundational to that program that I was involved in. And initially I thought that I might do something around um, diversity in schools or something like that. But then I really started to think, you know, I'm going to spend several years in studying these these topics. So what is it that I could really be passionate about and invest my time and resources in? 
And I thought about film and media studies because I love film. I love, you know, television. And I know your background is also in theater and, and, and acting and things like that. Yeah. So for me, I, I thought about being, you know, a black man in the United States, representation and in the media or, you know, how media can influence society was something that has always been on my radar. Um, in my dissertation, I actually talked about not seeing superheroes that looked like me as prevalently as I would have liked growing up. I um, mean, it's not like I'm that old or anything, but, you know, even even then, Black Panther, for example, was, was groundbreaking for me. And I know that comics have been around and, and there are a lot of other characters and things like that now, but thinking about that and how social media, you know, you, you can dialogue with so many people if you have an open network. Um, and so often, you know, in my hometown, I grew up in a very conservative white environment. And so talking about these things to those in my local setting, it wouldn't have been as um, impactful, I think, as it is when you're talking to people from different backgrounds and, and perspectives and things like that. So I started to connect the dots and say, you know, well, social media, if you're willing to dialogue with diverse individuals, you can talk about so many different topics. But often, you know, we find common ground with individuals on social, social media when we think about liking a certain celebrity or a certain show. And sometimes you're dialoguing with people about that show or celebrity, you know, on their page or on, on their Twitter account or whatever it might be. And so if you're willing to converse with individuals and hear their perspectives, not only about that pop culture artifact, but maybe it's something about their own life that they share in that setting, you can actually grow as a person. You can learn about a perspective that maybe you wouldn't have learned about in your own geographic setting that you, you know, you're located in. Um, so that's kind of how I started to situate my research and my interest and started to see how I can translate that more broadly speaking to most things in life, whether it's software development or organizational growth or development when you think about people and culture and, and, and companies and things like that. So I've really found how to translate my research across issues and across different settings or problems and things like that. Oh man, so much of what you were saying was really resonating with me a lot. I think that you you absolutely hit the nail on the head when it comes to dialoguing with people from a variety of different backgrounds, having this open mentality in order to to learn a lot. And I think what's really interesting too is that with regards to technology and social media, it I like I always find myself sort of like in the in between area of how I feel about social media, because there's this one side where in a lot of ways for people like yourself who might have grown up in an environment that is very, I guess, closed minded in some ways that is or I guess everyone is essentially thinking along the same lines. Social media gives you this opportunity to expose yourself to people from a variety of different backgrounds, from a variety of different cultures. And you get exposed to that and you get to learn because of that. So there's like that one end of social media. And then there's that other end of social media where you just kind of go down this rabbit hole of liking just the things that you like, kind of that that confirmation bias. And because the algorithms are set how they are, it just keeps feeding you the information that you are going to more likely engage with, which 
I guess at the end of the day, people are going to engage with the things that they believe are in line with their own beliefs, even if there's some lies within that. I think that we've, we've you know seen a lot of that in our world recently. So I'm curious, I would love to hear your perspective just on that. Like, how do we strike that balance between utilizing the positives that come with social media while mitigating these potential negatives? Sure. And that's also something that I considered in the research um, that I've done. So I think that you definitely have to have that media literacy part in place, you know, as an individual or, or as groups of, of people. If if I'm not aware of, you know, what's going on behind the scenes with social media or like you said, algorithm algorithms and things like that, that in itself can impact me, you know. I might think that when I'm searching on Google that I'm finding information to prove a point. Um, but then when I think about how someone several states over, depending on you know the setting that they're in, they might search for the same content, but that algorithm is going to feed back to us you know, what it is it knows that we regularly are searching or encountering or based on our demographics. So it's interesting because you know that ties into this whole fake news conversation that people have of, well, what you're, what you're talking about is not really is some, is not prominent when I'm searching or for those that I'm talking to or things like that. So you have to be aware that those search results or those algorithms do have an impact behind the scenes. But I think that some of it is on us as individuals. It's easy to want to block people. It's easy to want to <laughs> only friend or talk to people or follow content or individuals that think and, and act like you, especially in this, you know, we're in a very polarized time and it's not like this is new what's going on within society. It's just manifest right. different ways. But I think that you have to be willing to have some type of dialogue or open network. And I think there, you know, there's a balance. If you're engaging with people who are, are very bigoted and don't want to talk or learn, you have to protect yourself and others. You can't you can't change people. You can try to have dialogue with those who are willing to listen. But I do think that one of the things that can harm us with social media is that interpersonal aspect. Um, I think right now with COVID, it, it's important because as humans, we're social and, and, and social media has allowed us to stay in touch with others. But, you know, before COVID or, or even in the future, I can't only talk to people who think or look differently to me online. I need to engage with these people offline. I need to engage with them in, in settings where we can be vulnerable and build genuine relationships. It can't be so superficial that, you know, I then go out and, and, and pro proclaim to the world, hey, I have all these diverse people and I know about all these other groups, when really it's just a few posts on social media or something like that. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with you on that too. And I think as I was discussing before about trying to find, at least in my personal experience, this balance with social media, that's been the biggest thing is that I think that social media and the online world is amazing for making some initial connections, meeting people that you probably wouldn't have met otherwise. Yourself, for example, would definitely probably not have met you if it weren't for the online world. But it's a matter of if you know, you're going to grow these relationships, taking them offline and really starting to discover 
okay, who is this person as a person, as a human being? Because the the online version that we see, I think, is just a snapshot of who this person is. And so, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you in all of that. And I would love, I guess, from there to to jump to what you're doing with long capture because you in in this uh, organization are working with tech companies and you know i assume working with tech companies on a fairly regular basis so what what is it that you do with long capture and i guess how has it influenced your opinion and thoughts when it comes to technology and society sure so long capture is a consulting firm that works with uh, tech companies that are applying to Department of Defense and other federal government contracts. And so with Long Capture, I've helped write proposals for our clients, as well as um, help with the business development surrounding research partnerships. So one of the programs um, through the Department of Defense and other federal agencies requires that you have a research partner. Um, and so my background in higher education and, and research and development um, it, that's lended, you know, my experience to being able to help think through the strategy behind finding research partners. Um, but before that, I was I started out writing proposals for these clients for these contracts that they're applying to, and it's been fascinating because I don't have that technical background in that sense of software development or, or anything like that. But it's been fascinating to see the types of companies that are starting up and actually how the SBIR and STTR program, um, this, this program that the different federal agencies are offering, it, it's great to see how it was started, you know, with legislation years ago and how it's kind of like seed funding that really helps innovate uh, with our country because it's helping these, these small businesses not only grow commercially, but also conduct business with the federal government. And I think I didn't really recognize the power of that program and, and helping so many different startups and, and small businesses grow and innovate. Of course, our focus is Department of Defense, um, but I think sometimes people have a, a misconception of what type of technology might be used by the Department of Defense. And, and it's not always uh, technology that that you might think of, like it's not always something that deals with missiles or, or weapons. I think that might be the initial thing that people think about. Um, but it's actually technology that we would use across the board, like any other organization or company, whether it's for process improvements with certain systems you have in place or fitness or, or whatever it may be. But at the same time, that that technology is impacting society. It is in the commercial sector. Um, and these programs are helping these companies to to serve both the government and the commercial sector. So I think the biggest thing I've really taken away is just seeing how integrated or, or how diverse so many different companies and, and technologies are and, and how there's this thread within society. And it's not only the United States, seeing how these companies are impacting the broader world. Yeah. Yeah, I think it it really is amazing just you know hearing about your work and just kind of hearing about all the facets that are involved with that both with the work that you've done with long capture and then also your your research as well. And I think that something that really stood out to me too in our last conversation was that you really introduced me to this idea that I've kind of been practicing for a while in some ways but 
didn't really realize it. And that's arts-based uh, research methods. This is something that in a lot of ways I've kind of done in my theater and performance work where I'm kind of figuring out, okay, what is the impact that technology has on a society and kind of analyzing that through performative works. So for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with this term, I know that you have a lot of experience with, or at least a, a lot of knowledge when it comes to arts-based research methods. I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners, what, what is this exactly? And, and how is it different, I guess, from other types of research? Sure. So arts-based research definitely overlaps with, you know, the traditional qualitative or quantitative research, depending on how you set up your research study. Um, but what really drew me to arts-based research is that we often think about higher education and we think about knowledge dissemination and generation. So, you know, someone in higher ed is, there are these gatekeepers who are allowing certain individuals in and they're allowing certain information to be produced and someone's judging that this is information that is credible or um, should serve as some kind of guiding force, I would say. And so when I think about, again, the diversity, equity and inclusion piece, I think about how these institutions and systems often are impacted by these various isms that have been longstanding within society. So if you want to think about things like white supremacy and patriarchy, um, certain individuals have established what is considered credible. Um, there's a certain lens that we've been taught to look at information or society through. And sometimes that can be problematic, especially when different perspectives aren't you know, included, if we're not critiquing these guiding forces or gatekeepers or things like that. So for me, I think because that program I was in for my PhD, I think it teaches us or it taught us to look at the world and really critique everything. Not that you can't believe in, in something, but at least ask yourself why you're believing in it or why you're following, you know, the establishment or things like that. So when I started to think about research and wanted to really make it my own and original, of course, I, I told you what my research focus was on, but I also thought about how we often approach research with this expectation that you have to be completely objective. And, and of course, many people understand that that's hard to do as humans. We're subjective. And so I think looking at something that really understands that you can bring in your own perspective and acknowledge that, acknowledge your biases and things like that, you can still try to be quote unquote objective, but understand that there are different ways to generate knowledge. There are different ways to disseminate knowledge. Um, so, and so for me, it's not that I, I don't buy into traditional research papers or certain ways of approaching higher ed or the world, but I like to also consider other perspectives. And so for me, it was, why do I have to present a, a dissertation completely in a traditional way in the format why can't I have some aspects of it be traditional, quote unquote, but why can't I also include some new type of methodology or new format to complement, you know, what is traditional? And so we learn about arts-based research methods. I love to write creatively. I love writing in general. And so based on my interest in film and media studies and fiction and literature, I decided, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to basically evaluate my research using fiction-based research. 
And so I wrote a fiction novel within my dissertation that looks at these social issues and these things surrounding media technology and society. Wow. And, and I had footnotes to kind of highlight, like, here's how I'm thinking about the research. And the fiction basically just helped to paint a picture. It's kind of like an acting. When you're acting, you're telling someone's story. You're, you're thinking through the context of maybe you're, you're acting out a World War II scene. And of course, we were thinking about the soldiers, but maybe you're talking about the broader socio-political dynamics as this character that you're encompassing. And so you're painting a picture for those and they're learning because of that. And that's basically what that fiction aspect of my research did um, when thinking through the more jargon and conceptual nature of some of the things that I was considering. Wow, that's amazing. I, I love this so much because I think that you're, in a lot of ways, it, it's kind of this meta experience where you're taking what you've learned in your research and at, with regards to, okay, looking at a variety of different perspectives on how the world works, how society is affected by whether it be technology or, or other cultures, whatever it may be. And you're saying, okay, well, how about we do the research from a different perspective as well, which I think is a, a really fascinating and also really effective way to go about it. Because not only, I mean, I could only assume, and actually, may I'm wrong, I, I guess I'll ask you this. Did you find that you were more engaged with your research through doing it as a, or I guess presenting it as a fiction novel? I was more engaged and I think I was actually thinking about readers or, or the audience or however you would define it. So for me, I think I wanted it to be, I didn't want to, I don't think I diminished the quality or the rigor in my research. And so I think anyone with a PhD, for example, would still read it and see that some, some parts fit, you know, a traditional dissertation and are very rigorous. And the fiction I would say was rigorous, but I also think that the fiction in particular aspect of it, it allows for anyone to read it. And of course, when I say anyone, I, I think I need to back up. You still have to have some level of, of comprehension or understanding, but I think it it's like that public pedagogy piece. It allows more people, I should say. That's, a, that's probably a better way to define it. More people who aren't necessarily um, graduate students or speaking in a certain jargon or, or, or at a certain level in their career or something like that, it allows people who maybe didn't attend college or don't want to read academic research, whether they attended college or not, it allows different people to come to the table and read it and say, I'm actually being entertained, but I'm actually learning too. Um, because some people across the board don't want to read, you know, research. They feel like research is stiff and they feel like they can't grasp or fully understand it like they do when they pick up a Harry Potter novel or something like that. So I wanted it to reach different groups, but I also wanted to make it my own and really have fun um, while still, you know, thinking through very serious interconnected social problems. Yes, Adrian, you bring up so many great points. I love what you were talking about with regards to making your research specifically, but then also research in general, much more accessible and approachable to people who maybe if they were to read an academic paper, 
it would be very difficult for them to get into it, to really be excited about it. Whereas if you really put this research into another form, in your case, a fiction novel, it really makes the the content of what you're writing about much more engaging. And I think that's something that I've thought a lot about in my work as well is, you know, creating projects, creative projects that will, I guess, attract an audience much more so than if I was just spewing facts and and research at them. In a lot of ways, it allows the content to be much more much more interesting and and therefore allows you to get the message across that you want to get across. Definitely. And I think one of the one of the inspirations was um, an individual. I can't remember his name, but he actually wrote his dissertation in the form of a graphic novel. Wow. (laughs) Yes, I think he was out of uh, Columbia University. And one of the professors in my program mentioned that. He said, you know, there was actually a dissertation. Um, I think it was, you know, similar to mine that there were other chapters or, or parts to it. But I think after completing that program, this individual published the actual graphic novel part of the dissertation. Um, so just seeing that and, and, you know, seeing how this individual thought through, I think it was like education and philosophy um, and thinking through that in a graphic novel, that definitely, I don't know, I, I just like to sometimes take the path that everyone's not taking. And so seeing that, it, it definitely fired me up. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I feel that this is the same exact way. And you know, with with all of this research that you've done and then have gone going about it through writing a, a fiction novel and just uh, all your comments in our, our conversation today about about technology, society, media, diversity, all of these different topics, you, you have really a, a great knowledge in, in a variety of different topics that intersect in, in many different ways. So I'm wondering with regards to this podcast, we we talk a lot about the importance of meaningful connection, relationships. So I'm wondering, what have you learned about people in your various research studies? Sure. So I think for me, it, it really is looking at socialization and context. So I think about topics like privilege or marginalization and I think sometimes we have to self-reflect to really ask ourselves, why do I believe what I believe? Who taught me to think this way? How did my environment shape me as a person? And I think that's something that you can look at anyone. It, it, that's not something that's particular to me or just you or certain groups. That's everyone. And I think whether it's looking at geography or culture or looking at different things that shape all of us and, and recognizing how we have various identities. So what I often talk about with my students is, is looking at things like intersectionality or looking at like the matrix of domination. And what I mean by all of these terms is basically there are intersections or different aspects of who we are. Of course, if I'm walking down the street, you might label me based on how I'm dressed or what you see in terms of my skin color or something like that. But behind that, you may not know my religious background. You may not know my education level unless you know me. Um, And even then, 
you have to realize there are there are more complex parts to who I am. My family dynamic has shaped me. The environment, I, you know, moving away from my hometown has shaped me. Different job experiences, everything has shaped who, who I am. And at an even broader level, there are these institutional and systemic aspects and, and dynamics that are going on that are impacting us. And so for me, I think that socialization piece really is important to think about now when we think about even how technology has shaped political discourse. And behind that, it's still that individuals are learning or being taught to think something. And if they're not, if we're not self-reflecting about that, it, it, it can harm us in our development. You know, so I often think about why do I think about some things the way that I do? And when I actually take the time to think about it, I can sometimes clearly say, wow, this is why I have this view about the world. <laughs> and other times, <laughs> other times it takes someone calling me out. It takes a friend or family member to say, I noticed that you say this or do this. And then I have to say, wow, I didn't even realize that. So I think for me, it's just that human piece of we all have these different experiences. Um, they're very complex and complicated, but if we really take the time to consider that, I think we can see the humanity in ourselves and others. Yes, uh, that that's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. I, I love what you were saying too about how our it's really our experiences that make us who we are, and and we do have a variety of of different identities within us. And I think so long as we could always, I guess practice reminding ourselves of that when we encounter other people. I think it will allow us to be so much more open and, and approachable when meeting people from a variety of different backgrounds. Because at the end of the day, it's exactly what you said, that sure, people can judge or they can make assumptions about someone based off of their appearance, but you're not really going to know who they are until you start talking with them and, and get to know them on a personal level. Definitely. No, I definitely think that that is, it's definitely, and I think that's where technology, again, can sometimes take away from that human aspect that's important in our relationships. If if I'm attacking someone online or, or criticizing someone, I think sometimes that it's easier to do that when you don't have to face someone. There are a lot of reasons that individuals would possibly do that. But I think that when you're in front of someone and really taking the time to try to learn about them, um, it doesn't mean that you still might not disagree or whatever, but I think it it's it's harder sometimes to really judge or attack someone when you have a chance to kind of understand their background or experiences. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Oh, well, Adrian, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on the Relate podcast. Thanks so much for not only taking the time, but also in the work that you're doing. I'm really just fascinated at your career trajectory so far with regards to the, the work that you're doing now, the research that you have done. And I really enjoyed chatting with you and kind of diving into the details as to how we can study people, how we can study how we interact with one another, how we interact with technology, how technology interacts with us in a lot of ways. So I, I just, I really appreciate the work that you've done and the work that you're bringing into the world. Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. And I'm hoping that you and I can co collaborate at some point. Oh, oh, absolutely. We'll, we'll definitely be in talks. Where can our listeners find out more information about you and all the work that you're doing? 
I would say LinkedIn. Definitely my LinkedIn is is a spot where you can find some of my publications and some of the other work that I'm invested in right now. Perfect. Well, for our listeners out there, I will make sure to include the link to Adrian's LinkedIn in our show notes. So just scroll in the show notes. You can click that link provided. Highly recommend getting in touch with Adrian. So Adrian, I have just one last question for you before we part ways. How can we as a society better relate to one another? Well, that's a good one. <laughs> I I really think it's educating ourselves on others' experiences, but not in a way to try to intellectualize their lives or experiences so that it's it's impersonal. I think that it's it's genuinely trying to build relations with others, admitting your flaws or your biases or or being uncomfortable um, or embracing being uncomfortable in moments. So I think it's really taking the time to learn about what you may not know. And that might be dialoguing with those that you feel like you don't connect with or whatever it is. But I think we have to do the work as individuals to learn about others. We can't expect people to tell us everything it is that we need to know and, and put, put it on them to, to make the world a different place, Express, ex, especially when you're thinking about privilege and things like that. So I think that we have to recognize our flaws and our privileges and work to address many social issues that are, are still longstanding. And I definitely think that education and self-reflection piece are the most important things that we can do um, as individuals. Yes. Oh, a great, great way to leave our listeners. So a Adrian, thank you so much again for joining us on the show. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Relate. You can let me know your thoughts on this episode by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving me a review. Or if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. You can support this podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you so much again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all in the next episode.